Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Brian with Harvest Community Church or HarvestChurchEugene.com. Man, am I glad you're worshiping Jesus with us right now. I want to encourage you to do just a couple of things before we jump in uh, into the Bible, into the Word of God today as a part of our worship. As we always do, I want to welcome you and I want to encourage you to say hello on YouTube or Facebook or however you're watching. If there's a comment section, would you just let us know you're watching and uh, give us the chance to see how you're doing today. At the same time, uh, while you're there in the links on YouTube and Facebook, would you click on the link for digital communication card and fill out that digital communication card? We would certainly love uh, to hear from you. It gives us a chance to know uh, what is new in your week right now. And uh, we would love to pray for you if we could in some way. We'd love to answer any questions you've got. Of course, we'd like to help you with any next steps along the way. Now, if you're a guest with us today, we'd love it if you'd fill out that digital communication card as well. Maybe you're watching for the first time or the second time and, and uh, you've never filled one out. Um, to encourage you to do that, we'd like to honor your decision to do that by giving $5 in your name and in each of your family members' names to our partners at Monroe Middle School. Monroe is a school right here in our neighborhood. They have a Families in Crisis Fund that we love to support. And so if you'll give us, you know, the names of um, whoever's in your family, we will honor that by donating to that Families in Crisis Fund. To Harvesters, we want to say uh, thank you for your faithful support, um, you know, through these many, many months. We would like um, to encourage you to continue that faithful giving. Of course, there are giving links there on YouTube and Facebook. Again, if you're a guest, please know that uh, you, we care about you, not your cash. Um, but those of us that consider Harvest our home, we know that when we give, we know that it makes a difference all across our community. And we know that it makes a difference literally around the world. And so we want to say thank you for those gifts. I do want to mention uh, just one other quick thing before we pray. We're going to celebrate baptism next Sunday, uh, May 23rd. And if you're interested in being baptized, I would love to hear that. I would love to talk with you about that and get you set up for that baptism service. We're doing it in COVID safe ways. We're truly excited about the chance we have to celebrate baptism. And we would love uh, the chance for you to be baptized. So would you reach out and let me know? You can uh, let me know on your communication card. You can let me know by emailing me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at HarvestChurchEugene.com. You pray, and then we're going to jump in to the Bible this morning. Jesus, we thank you for grace, and we thank you for how good your grace really is. And Jesus, we ask right now that your grace would just flood through our lives, that it would flood over all the things that are not only toxic but sinful. And Jesus, we ask that you would cleanse us from the inside out, and as you do, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us on the cross. We thank you that your forgiveness and grace are powerful. We ask that you help us to be people who let that grace flow through us, not just in us. Jesus, we love you. We give your word to you today. We give ourselves to you today. We ask you to speak, move, and change our souls right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series called Soul Detox, and we've talked about many different aspects of detoxing our soul. And today, 
I want to go a little different direction. Today, I want to talk about how to detox our relationships. You might remember that last Sunday we were in Colossians chapter 3 in the Bible and we were talking about how to detox the ongoing conversation in our heads. That you talk to yourself, you know it, I know it, and that it's sometimes toxic. Well, as we've worked through that, I want to go right back to Colossians chapter 3 today, and I want to pivot to our relationships, because in the passage and in the text and throughout the Bible, there's a very clear correlation between what happens inside of us and what happens in our relationship with God and how all of that flows into our relationship with other people. So as we talk about detoxing our relationships today, I want you to note that up to this point, we've spent a considerable amount of time talking about detoxing our own souls long before, excuse me, long before we come to detoxing our relationships. We usually want that to work in reverse. We want everything around us to be detoxed. We think that if everything and all the circumstances and all the relationships around us, if all of that can be detoxed, then we think that that will detox our souls, that toxic is out there and we need to to be cleansed from it. We need to, we need to be separated from it. And while it is true that it is, there is toxic out there, it is equally true, maybe more so true, that there is much that is toxic in here. And while there is plenty of toxic out there, there's plenty of it in here. And out there is God's responsibility. And out there is other people's responsibility. But in here... Well, I've got to shoulder some responsibility for that and bring that before the Lord. And so today I want us, even as we talk about detoxing our relationships with others out there, I still want us thinking about our own responsibilities in detoxing our relationships. We said last week, right, that I've got to fully receive grace in order to fully share grace. Detoxing your relationships is going to be as much about what you can do, maybe more about what you can do than what you need others to do. Because certainly, I can't change another person. I can pray for them. I can point them to God. I can walk with them through life, but I cannot change other people. But guess what? I can change me. So let's come back to the Word of God. We're in Colossians chapter 3. Scripture reminds us what, it, what is needed, what we need to do in our own hearts, even as we work on our relationships with others. Colossians 3.1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. So just pause there for a second. Note, and we talked in detail about this last week, but there is a need in our lives to see all of life, to see ourselves, to see other people, to see our circumstances from Christ's perspective reigning on a throne. That that changes a lot. For you died, verse 3 says, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when you're Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways 
in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, therefore, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, no slave, nor free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Notice that it told us in verse 12 that we are loved. And here it is telling us to put on love, that that love of Christ is to be (laughs) taken, that is to be worn, it is to be shared In all of our relationships, we say often here at Harvest Community Church that we start with love and we end with love. And it's so often important to remind ourselves the centrality of love to all of this. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Can I just pause there and pray again? Jesus, I pray that these words would truly soak into our souls. That we would know that we are chosen, that we are adopted, that we are holy in your sight, that we are loved, that we have you to put over and on our lives. And so, Lord, help us to live out what we talk about today, right now. Make this powerful for us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So the one thing I want to convince you of today, really the thing that this message is about, what I think that this is getting at in relation to our relationships is this concept, that the standards for how I treat everyone around me, the standards for how I treat people, how I treat my family, how I treat my coworkers, how I treat my friends, But beyond that, how I treat my neighbors, how I treat my acquaintances, even beyond that, how I treat my adversaries, how I treat my enemies, that the standards for how I treat people changed the day I met Jesus. That when Jesus came into my life, that his way of treating people becomes my way of treating people. It's what it clearly says in verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When it is telling us to be kind or to be gentle, to be compassionate, to be humble or to be patient. It is telling us to put on the virtues 
of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the new standard, that grace is the new standard. Because all of these are the outflowing of his grace. And what's happened when I become a believer in Jesus, and if you have not yet, you'll get the chance at the end of this message. We would love for you to pray and become a follower of Jesus Christ. So you'd be waiting for that. Be thinking about that even right now, about asking Jesus to forgive your sins and ask his grace to wash over you and wash through you. But what I want us all to see right here, right now, is that when I, became a, uh, uh, when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, when I became a person who says, I follow Jesus, that the grace of God not only washed in my soul, but wants to wash through my soul into everybody else. And you say, well, what is grace? Grace is, is kindness that isn't deserved. It's blessing that isn't deserved. It's love that isn't deserved. That's what grace is. And it's the way God has loved me and you. It's the way God has been kind and compassionate to you and me. And this will revolutionize our relationships if we let it. Again, Verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Verse 14, over all these virtues, put on love. This is how we are to interact with people. This is how you handle day-to-day life. This is how you do each day with your family. This is how you deal with situations that are full of conflict. And this is how you approach people who even might annoy you or worse, oppose you. That this standard of grace is the way of Jesus. And I would have you notice that most of these terms, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, these also show up when love is described to us in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient and love is kind. Right? It does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. You remember that? And this is telling us that all of this flows from grace and love, that I don't have to treat people, I don't, the way they treat me. I don't have to treat people the way they treat me. Have you noticed that toxic behavior is contagious? That when someone treats you in a toxic way, you want to treat them back with toxic behavior. In fact, toxic thoughts are contagious. You think one thought and it leads to another thought. And so what happens in our lives when people are toxic towards us and they, they give us anger or rage or malice or, or filthy language or something that isn't deserved, we want to just throw that right back at them. And Jesus here is reminding us of how important it is that we not treat people the way they treat us, but rather that we treat people the way Jesus has treated us. So how do grace And love change my thinking and my relationships. How does grace change how I interact with other people? I want to give you four principles for grace-filled living. And I want you to remember the standard for how I treat people change the day I met Jesus. All right, so principle number one. Grace is preventative, preventative, not just responsive. Grace is preventative, not just reactive. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that, again, we feed off each other. 
And that so often in life, we think of how we react to each other as, as being fed sort of by each other. And so when one person is toxic, we tend to be toxic back. But this is clearly telling us to bear with one another, to forgive one another. And we sort of think of grace as something that happens after someone has done something sinful or after someone has done something toxic. When they treat you in a sinful way, they treat you in a toxic way, you give grace by not treating them back in the same way. You with me so far? So that's responsive grace. And what I want you to see in this passage is that he is telling us that grace can be preventative, not just responsive. What I truly mean by that is that you and I every day have the chance to plant seeds of grace. I believe this is what he's getting at when he says that we are chosen people, adopted, that we are holy, that we are dearly loved, that we are to be clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, that these are seeds of grace and we plant those before the toxic has ever happened. That we plant compassion, we plant humility, we choose gentleness and patience and kindness, that these become the normal everyday way of living. That instead of having to give grace to clean up a mess, That in our relationships, we prevent some messes simply by planting grace up front. It's so important to me that as we start with love, as we end with love, that we think about how this is a new way of life for believers. And I just want you to think about how powerful it would be in your family If there was more grace and compassion and humility and patience and kindness planted on a daily basis, how how life altering would it be in your working relationships if more of those people out there had more grace and compassion? Because you get to be a change agent and you get to plant those seeds right now every day. And how powerful would it be if across our land, if we had a flood of grace wave over us such that our interactions with each other and with the world were filled with Jesus-like behavior? I mean, if we were compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient just in the Christian community across our nation, think about how magnetic that would be to the concept of grace. That we wouldn't have to come along and do as much cleaning up of problems in our relationships because we would have prevented more things and we would have shared more grace. And in a lot of senses, what I'm saying is that graceful behavior is just as contagious as toxic behavior. In fact, maybe more so because it has the power of Jesus behind it. So think about what this is saying. When it says that we are to be clothed with these endowments of grace, it is saying that we are to be wrapped as in a covering, that we are endowed with a quality or condition. When it says to be clothed with compassion, it's a deep awareness and sympathy for another's suffering. Imagine if in the Christian community we had more of that, not just with each other, but with everyone around us particularly with those who disagreed with our faith. It'd be magnetic. 
When it says, clothe yourself with kindness, it's the quality of being warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, and sympathetic. When it says to be clothed with humility, it's telling us to have a disposition of assessing oneself appropriately, especially in light of one's sins. When it says to be clothed with gentleness, it's telling us to act in a manner, obviously, that is gentle, but is mild, that is even-tempered, that is less reactive. And when it tells us to be clothed with patience, it's telling us to have a sense of endurance, a sense of waiting, a sense of willingness even to suffer or go through unhappiness. These are the fruits of grace that... Kindness involves a grace element when we give it before it is deserved. That compassion before it's ever earned is given in grace. That patience, when it doesn't make sense, is an act of grace. And that we are to do these preventatively. And then, sometimes when the mess happens and the relationship gets difficult and toxic and messy, then we need the responses of grace to bear with one another. When it says bear with one another, it means to endure something unpleasant or difficult, whether on your behalf or on behalf of someone else. It's literally telling us to put up with one another, to be more gracious in enduring one another. And it tells us to forgive in grace as well. To forgive someone on account of the goodwill that you have towards that person. And it's not your goodwill that you're giving away. It is the goodwill of Jesus. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So when you end up choosing grace preventatively, when you lead with grace, compassion, humility, and patience, when we plant these things regularly and consistently and commonly, you end up in less situations requiring forgiveness and forbearance. Of course, there are moments in life where forgiveness is needed, and sometimes you and I are the ones who need forgiveness. And so this would remind me that living in grace also means a willingness to go to a person and ask for forgiveness, to be willing to go to a person and say, you know what? I was wrong. Here's what I can see from your perspective. I was wrong. I am deeply sorry I hurt you. And I would like your forgiveness. This, honestly is how we deal with a lot of the toxic pain that's been rolling around in us. In the world of recovery groups, we call it making amends. That how often is there pain inside of us that's unresolved and it goes back years, decades, generations even. And we simply need to face it and to let grace wash over it and through it and in it. All right. So number one, grace can be preventative, not just responsive. I camped out for there for a while. I want you to get this second thing, second principle, that I am as a believer of Jesus, that that if the standards change the day I become a believer in Jesus Christ, and they do, that not only am I to like share grace lavishly, but I am to treat all people, all people, every single one of them as made in the image of their creator. 
that the stamp of God is on every single person's life. Now, to be fair, this was written to believers, and I believe it is largely talking about their relationship with other believers, but I don't believe there is any place in Scripture to treat unbelievers any different. And I want you to use Jesus as your standard here. How did Jesus treat fellow believers, and how did Jesus treat unbelievers? With kindness, with compassion, Certainly with forgiveness, with grace, with humility, with servanthood, with sacrifice, with all of these things we're talking about today, Jesus treated people as though they mattered to God because they do. He treated people as though they had the thumbprint of God on their life because they do. And frankly, because they're his. He is the creator Verse 8 told us to rid ourselves of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. We're replacing those, right, with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Tells us to take off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. That's talking about ourselves. Something that happens inside of us in our identity. But it also changes how we begin to see other people because he says, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Greek or Jew? Those were national distinctions. Circumcised, uncircumcised to the Jewish people, those were religious distinctions. Barbarian, Scythian, cultural distinctions? Slave or free, I realize it's more than this, but social distinctions. He is saying that all those barriers that tend to be so divisive in our lives are torn down by Jesus Christ. And the standards change for how I treat people. The day I become a believer in Jesus Christ, the standards change. And that no matter what a person is, they have the fingerprint of God the fingerprint of Jesus on their life. And of course, when they become a believer in Jesus, they have the literal presence of Jesus in their life. So none of this means we can't call wrong, wrong, or sin, sin. But it does mean that whether we agree with a person's lifestyle choices or not, that we are called to point them to the fingerprint of God on their life. Why would anyone want Jesus if we didn't do this? If we didn't live this way, that we treat people based on what Jesus has done for them, not what they deserve. That's grace. That we treat people how Jesus feels about them. That's grace. And this is how I alter how I see people in my life. And it's why Jesus calls me to love and to love my neighbor and to love even my enemies in this way. so powerful if we'll just let Jesus be the standard of how we treat people. Number three, I need to give myself a peace and gratitude check when toxic thoughts begin. If my attitude towards my relationships is moving in a toxic direction, I need a peace check. I need a gratitude check. Verse 15, he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful There it is. 
You're called to peace? Live peacefully. You're called to gratitude? Live gratefully. When I begin to feel the toxic welling up inside of me, then I have a choice to make. And we say, oh, well, peace and gratitude, those are fruits. Those are what happens after the fact. Like they just happen to you and you feel them. And I, I, I would say, no, they're choices. They're seeds of grace, again, that you plant. That you choose peace on the upfront side. That you choose gratitude before gratitude sometimes even makes sense. What gratitude does is it focuses, when I'm having a little bit of tension with someone, it focuses on why I'm thankful for those in my life, rather than focusing on why they get on my nerves. Does that make sense? That gratitude changes how I see people, that peace changes how I see people, and these are choices. I've got one last concept for you, but just make sure you're very clear here. That grace changes everything, and the standards for how I treat people change. The day I met Jesus, that I am to be clothed with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience, with love, with forbearance, with forgiveness. These are not suggestions. These are commands. They're not to be laid aside when we move into the workplace. They're not to be laid aside when we gather together at church. They're not to be laid aside in our homes or in the voting booth or anywhere else in American life. These are to drive all of how we treat people. So I've got one more principle for you, and I want to make sure you get this clearly. Number four, Jesus calls us to be faithful to hard relationships because they're all hard. But keep going. Jesus calls us to be faithful to hard relationships, but Jesus does not call us to accept or excuse abuse. So since we're talking about these concepts of grace, I want to be abundantly clear here. All relationships are difficult, or at least they will be in different times. Any relationship that is a long-term relationship in your life will face challenges. They are all hard And Jesus calls us to be faithful in the difficulty, faithful in the hard. But Jesus does not call us to accept or to excuse abuse. And for that matter, he doesn't call us to abuse. Because abuse is wicked. And we are to reject that. Now, this passage is all about issues of grace. And in the Christian community over the years, particularly in relationships of of marriage or dating or romance, I have heard people say, you know, you're just supposed to forgive that abusive stuff. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't see that in here. I just don't. Let Let me give you what I mean. Okay, Proverbs 9, 7 says, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults, and whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. So abuse is wicked. Can we be honest about that? It's not just toxic, it's wicked. And what does the Bible tell us to do with the wicked? Proverbs 4, 14. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. In fact, verse 15, Proverbs 4, avoid it, do not travel on it, turn from it, and go, your, go on your way, for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But like it says in the first psalm, 
Psalm 1-1, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. You may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. Now, I realize all relationships face conflict, and all relationships are hard. If intimacy is involved, I don't mean physical, I just mean you're going you're gonna to come to know someone in a deeper fashion, you will pay the price of conflict. Conflict is the price we pay for intimacy. And if that's all true, then we have to know that Jesus calls us in our difficult relationships to sacrifice and to servanthood, but he does not call us to abuse. He does not call us to abuse, and he does not call us to be abused. And say, well, what about that time where Jesus said, turn the other cheek? What about when Jesus said, if they want to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well? That's in Matthew 5, by the way. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is about persecution, not about abuse in relationships. And even more specifically, I think we misunderstand this passage all the time. It is not about romance. This passage is about sacrifice and servanthood in the face of persecution. And I simply want you to get that Jesus didn't just take it every time it could have happened. That there are moments where Jesus walked away. I picked up this new book not long ago. It's called When to Walk Away by Gary Thomas. And I highly recommend it. Asking if there is ever a time to walk away. And I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that we throw away our marriage relationships easily or lightly. But I am saying that abuse is wicked. So Thomas says in the book, when to walk away. He says, though Jesus came to die the death of a martyr, he didn't allow consistent and persistent abuse to continue throughout his life. He let himself be tortured and crucified one time. But there were many occasions before that when he slipped away from those who wanted to hurt him. Now listen to these verses from the Bible, John eight fifty nine. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. John ten thirty nine and 40. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. He went back across the Jordan to the place John had been baptizing in the early days, to where he was more welcomed. John eleven fifty three and 54. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Matthew 12, 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. You see, Jesus walked away at times. 
And, and Jesus walked away at times, not just to avoid persecution, but just to avoid crowds so that he could recharge. There's story after story of how Jesus got up early and left the disciples to have time alone or how Jesus walked away from the crowds. There was a time where they wanted to make Jesus king and he moved away from that. There's the time where Jesus, who is gracious and kind and compassionate, who is forgiving and forbearing, who Jesus, who is patient and humble, all those things, right? There is the time where Jesus confronted the Pharisees. It's in Matthew chapter 23. He calls them hypocrites, children of hell, blind guides, blind fools, blind men, blind Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, snakes, and a brood of vipers. There's a time to confront the toxic. Sometimes to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to walk away. Jesus told the disciples, Matthew 10, 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. He was sending them out to share the gospel. Matthew 10, 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Does Jesus call us to love? Yeah, totally. Start with love, end with love. Forgiveness, absolutely. Does he call us to grace? Most definitely. Does Jesus call us to sacrifice and servanthood? Totally. Does he call us to abuse? Never. Does he call us to be abused? No way. Jesus calls us to grace always. Because the standards for how I treat people changed the day I met Jesus. And so you can't be responsible for what the other person does. But you can be responsible for what you do. And I wanted to clarify this. Because so often in church world, the words of scripture have been twisted to say you've got to stay. In fact, I got to be clear here. You've got to stay because Bible says that God hates divorce. I would say, yes, God hates divorce. It's destructive. But God doesn't hate divorced people. And God hates divorce, but not more than he loves his people. Jesus is graceful. Jesus is loving. And it's Jesus we need to follow. So here it is, friends. How do I treat people? How do I detox my relationships? By living out the standards of grace up front. Because the standards changed the day I met Jesus. Can I pray for us? I'm going to pray two prayers. I always end with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. And if you need salvation today and you need to be forgiven today, would you pray with me right now and say, Jesus, I need your grace. And I know I don't deserve it. So Jesus, please forgive me. And please work in my life. And please bring your grace into my life and flood my life with your grace. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again. Since you're alive, be my God and take over my life and fill my life with your grace and flow your grace through my life. In Jesus' name.
It's a powerful prayer. And if you prayed it just now, you are in the love and grace and the grip of Jesus Christ. And you'll never be outside that grip again. It's powerful. I'd love to talk with you about what it means and what it means to be a part of the family of God. You can let me know on your communication card. You can let me know by emailing me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. Again, I always end with two prayers. We've prayed a prayer of salvation. I want to pray now a prayer of discipleship. Many of us prayed a prayer of salvation years ago, decades ago even. But every day we need to live out this sense of following Jesus and the standards of Jesus. And so if you need to refresh this commitment to Jesus' grace in your relationships, would you pray this with me? Not just let me pray it for you. Would you actually pray it? It's powerful when we pray and we say, Dear Jesus, thank you for grace. Help me to soak it up. Help me to immerse myself in your grace. And help me to live in your grace and share your grace and give your grace away. Jesus, help me. And help, help me to plant seeds of grace preventatively every day. And Jesus, make my reactions and my responses more full of grace. Jesus, help me to treat others as you would treat them, as someone deeply loved by you. Jesus, give me the grace to choose peace up front, the grace to choose gratitude no matter what. And infuse me with your strength to love, to serve, to sacrifice to be compassionate and kind and humble, to show gentleness and patience, forbearance and forgiveness. Jesus, help me to live your grace every day. Lord, I pray this with all of my friends in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope this has been a blessing to you. You guys are incredible. And I want you to remember this today, that wherever you go this week, you are loved. You're not only loved by me, but you are loved by the God of the universe who is not only crazy about you, but is in you. And so go in that love, sharing that love, giving away that love today. I'll see you next week.